The following has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Thanks. Yeah, when I hear that rock kind of intro, I want to like come out and, you know, (laughs) smoke and lights and all that. Oh, who's this old guy? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's always a pleasure to be here. It's our blessing. We are we consider it one of the our privileges to be able to uh, come and worship with you all on occasion. And then whenever uh, Pastor Richie's out and and uh, enjoying a vacation, a well deserved vacation, uh, to come in here. And I just want to comment because it, it's uh, it's always so impressive to me uh, the way that the depth of the staff that you all have here. I mean, just everyone steps right in. Pastor Stephanie and Pastor Brooke and. And uh, Kathy leading, it was just wonderful. Y'all just do a great job. Let's give them a round of applause. They're, they're, they're entitled to that. Well, I want to talk to you today about um, a term that we hear a lot in church. And if you grew up in church, you probably heard this a lot and, and talked, talked about. But if not, and, and if, if you're kind of new to church or maybe you haven't uh, really had an opportunity to study this word so much, it might be a little bit foreign to you. And that's the word covenant okay covenant we hear that a lot around church you know guys raise your hand you heard the word covenant but whenever you begin to talk about a true understanding and a depth of what that means then i think a lot of followers of christ like you all it just kind of goes right on by you there is a depth to the word covenant to the concept of covenant that many times we miss Right? And, and I'm, I'm just, uh, as I kind of read the, the Word, and one of my hobbies is just kind of study the Bible, as I'm going through things, I see a lot, uh, just a greater and greater depth that God gives me in terms of the understanding of covenant. And I honestly believe that if we can grasp that concept, then we can enter into that rest that, uh, that Pastor Richie's been talking about, that we can expect to see the presence of God in our lives, which is what being Christ followers is all about, right? How much of the presence of God we see in our life. We can expect to see more and more of that just walking day in and day out in our businesses, in our relationships, in our finances, and all these things. It's all based on covenant, right? So today what I want to talk about, I entitled my lesson, Contending for Your Covenant. Contending for Your Covenant. So we're going to start out talking about what a covenant is and how to understand that, but then we're going to conclude the message about talking about what you can and should be doing in order to receive the benefits of that covenant, in order to appropriate it and make it a realistic part of your life every day. Amen? Okay, very good. All right, so when we start talking about this idea of covenant, right, one of the things that should come to mind, unfortunately it doesn't often in our society today, is the covenant of marriage. Right? We had the privilege of being here a few weeks ago when uh, Little Richie, I'd call him Little Richie, it's probably, you know, Richie Jr., Little Richie, and Brianna were married. Right? Great ceremony, very cool. You know, I love the fact when they danced down the aisle at the very end, you know, all of that stuff. I noticed Pastor Richie didn't give a lot of that, but everybody else did. You know, and it was, but it's, so what they were doing, though, is they were observing a ritual of covenant because God intended marriage. He created marriage in the Bible. God intended marriage to be reflective of his covenant. And the idea is, I mean, I'm wearing a ring right here. That's a symbol of the covenant that I have with my wife, Cindy. It's a covenant representation of that. Covenant, at its very essence, is the idea that 
I don't give 50% of myself to my covenant partner, right? It's not a 50-50 kind of relationship. Covenant, like marriage, is a 100%, 100% relationship. The idea is that everything that I have is Cindy's, and everything that Cindy has is mine. The two of us together complete one another, right? Together, she and I make up a unit, a, a, a covenant a relationship that reflects this joinder and that reflects this um, consummation, if you will, of the two of us together, right? So the first thing to understand about covenant is it's a 100% relationship. Both covenant partners give 100% of, of one another to, toward the relationship and toward the union that they have together, right? The second thing that I want you to understand about covenant is it's everlasting, right? It's everlasting. And again, unfortunately, society doesn't reflect that so much. But the idea is that what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, right? That's talking about the covenant of marriage. Talking about the idea that it is everlasting and it's binding and it's relational, okay? So the first thing that we, we need to grasp and understand about this idea about covenant is that, number one, it's mutual, right? Number one, it's each side giving 100% uh, to the other. Number two, it's everlasting, right? It's continual. And number three, it's relational. You know, it's this idea of a relational. So we can take those same concepts that we see acted out or represented in the covenant of marriage, and we can apply it over into a biblical context. And that's what I want to talk about today. To do that, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And you can turn to Genesis 26 if you'd like to. It's going to come up on the screen here in a moment. But what you're, y'all can hold off on, on that just a second until we get there. But y'all can be turning in your you know, iPads or wherever you're going. Laptop, looks like Brooke's got her laptop out. You know, go wherever you want to go in your Bible to Genesis, to Genesis 26. And here's what we see, just to give a context and to give an understanding. Um, about 6,000 years ago, about 4,000 B.C., okay, God literally appeared to a man named Abram, right, who lived in what is present-day Iraq, okay? He lived in Iraq. Ur is the name of the country at the time. Uh, but it was present-day Iraq, and God appeared to this man, Abraham, and this is after the flood and after the destruction of mankind, and God's kind of regenerating his relationship with man, right? Because man has fallen and into depravity, and so God's going to, I'm going to reintroduce myself into, into a relationship with man. And he appears to this guy, Abram, and he says this. He says, I want to make a deal with you, Abram. He said, if you will... Follow me to the land that I'm going to show you. By the way, that's present-day Israel. Okay? If you'll follow me to this land, it's about, it was about a 30-day journey. I'm going to follow, you to this, uh, follow me to this land. Then I'll give you all of the land that is comprised in this, in this area. Okay? All of Canaan. Okay? Reference Canaan at the time. I'm going to give you all of this land. And then on top of that, if you will choose me to be your God, if you're going to underline anything today, if you will choose me to be your God, then I will give you this land, and I will bless you, and I'll bless your descendants after you as well. Okay? And I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
All right, so it was this reciprocal re arrangement. So he appears to Abraham and says, this is the covenant that I want to make with you. This is the deal. He was basically saying that as long as you and your descendants follow me, okay, as long as you and your descendants will follow me, I will be your protector, I'll be your defender, I'll be your provider, I'll be your everlasting covenant partner, okay? Abram, being the shrewd negotiator that he was, looked around and saw the other gods that everyone else was worshiping. The Philippines were, or Philippines, Philistines, excuse me, Philistines were, but, but the Philistines, the Philistines were worshiping this half fish, half man god named Dagon, right? Half fish, half man. Abraham kind of looked at him and goes, eh, you know, not too crazy about that. The Egyptians at the time, also in existence, were worshiping a cobra, right? Worshiping a snake, Pharaoh, the whole thing. You know, other gods or other, other uh, cultures there were representing the sun or, or, or worshiping the sun. They were worshiping the moon. They were worshiping bulls and goats and all these things. And Abraham said, I think I'll pick that guy as being my God, right? I think I'll, you know, take the God, God Almighty. Okay, deal. We've got a deal. So God says, all right, let's cut this covenant together in an elaborate ceremony. You can read about it in Genesis 15. God cuts a covenant with Abraham, and they become covenant partners. They enter into this mutual, everlasting relationship in, in order that God would represent himself here on earth through Abraham. And so that's the beginning of the covenant. So Abraham lives 175 years. When he's 100 years old, he and his wife Sarah, God had promised them that they would have a son, and they had a son, Isaac. Okay? Today, I want to focus on Isaac in order to bring this lesson home because like Isaac, what we are are beneficiaries of a covenant that someone else made. Okay? Isaac, born into the lineage of Abraham, right? He's the son of Abraham and Sarah. He's born into the lineage of Abraham. So Isaac becomes a beneficiary of the deal of the covenant that God made with his dad. So Isaac didn't have to cut a new covenant. Isaac didn't have to go through this elaborate ceremony. Isaac didn't have to do all of those things other than be born into the covenant. Okay? Be born into the covenant. So put a little pause on that because we'll see in a while how when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are what? Born again. And when we're born again, that means we're born into the benefit of the covenant that first God made with Abraham and then that he reconfirmed with his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? If you don't take anything home with you today, take that home right there. Okay? Simply by being born again, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you step into the role of being a beneficiary of a covenant somebody else made. And because of that, God is your protector. He's your defender. He's your security. He's your provision. He's your God. Whatever you need God to be to you, yeah, that's worth applauding. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> that's good preaching. Yeah. <laughs> I'll beg for applause. I'm not above that. That's okay. <laughs> so, but, but so whatever it is that you need God to be to you, right? He, he is. He said, I am. And he said, who are you? I am that I am. I'm your God. You will be my people if you will make me your God. It's a whole idea, right? 
So whenever God is, is, is appearing to Isaac, we see this in, in uh, Genesis 26, right? Now we're there. Genesis 26, 24. It says this, so God appears to Abraham, and the Lord appeared to him, Isaac, the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, right? He's identifying himself as being that same God that came into relationship with Abraham. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you, right? I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake, right? Because I cut this covenant, because I made this deal with Abraham, and you're born into the lineage of Abraham, and I promised Abraham I would, I would bless his descendants, then for my servants, Abraham's sake, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be in covenant with you. I'm going to be a God to you, right? He goes on to say, so he, Isaac, built an altar, this is verse 25, so he, Isaac, built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Okay? I want to focus on that in just a minute. There Isaac's servants dug a well. But two things that are significant in this verse that teaches us how Isaac brought about the covenant blessings in his life. Okay? Two things I want you to see about how Isaac brought about those covenant blessings. The first one is, he said, uh, there Isaac built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. Okay, in those days, they didn't have churches, they didn't have synagogues, they didn't have places to go worship. And so what you would do, if you're going to call upon the name of your God, if you're going to worship your God, you would build some type of memorial, right? You would build, erect some type of an, a, a shrine, if you will, or some representation, a declaration that this was your God. What Isaac did was he got a bunch of big flat stones, a bunch of big flat rocks, and he piled them up into a pile probably about as tall as he was right? History tells us about six feet tall, they'd build these altars. And what Isaac did, he built that altar in the midst of a pagan culture, right? These are Philistines all around him. There's also Hittites, Canaanites, Jebusites, Parasites, all these, all these ites, right? All these ites are in there. And so, and he's in the midst of this pagan culture, and he erects this memorial to his God. Okay, um, a couple of weeks ago, it, it's been about three or four weeks ago, I got a chance to go to one of my favorite places anywhere, certainly one of my favorite places in this part of the country. It's a little place called Evangel Prayer Town. Okay, there is a, if you don't know about them, there's a convent of charismatic nuns. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Charismatic nuns, these sisters that are up there. And, and this is right across the highway from Boys Ranch. Okay, you know, up Hartley, up in that part of the country, and right off the river, you know, the Canadian River runs up there, and it's just, just right north of there. And in, they have a, a place where, where you can do individual prayer retreats, right? And so I try to do this once or twice a year. I mean, it's just, I love it. It's just like this open heaven. I mean, you just go, and it's quiet and peaceful. And if you're real polite and real nice, the nuns will invite you to their vespers in the evening service, you know, and so you get to go listen to these charismatic nuns worship, and it's very cool. But anyway, I was there a few weeks ago, and one of the things that I noticed was right in the middle of the, of the prayer retreat area was a, a, a cross that was about 12 feet high. You know, and it's kind of this rough hewn, not this fancy 
stained plastic. I mean, it was a rough hewn. They had literally nailed two big boards together, and it, it was just this, this cross right out in the middle of this, this whole convent where they were. And there were benches that were, that were kind of set around, set around that cross. And so one afternoon, you know, when I was just kind of praying, I just went out to that cross, and I just sat down, you know, just sat down there on one of those benches and just kind of pondered the cross, just thought about the cross, you know. And, and what, it, what it represented to me was a declaration on the part of these sisters, right, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what they call themselves, this, these sisters, it's a declaration that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior, that God was their God, right? They had erected an altar, you know, of a sense, the same thing that Isaac had done. They had, they had put something, state, a statement, a declaration, right out in the middle of where they lived and said, Jehovah is my God. God is my God, right? So when Isaac did that, and then he went to that altar, and he began to call on the name of the Lord, According to the Bible, he called on the name of the Lord. He was making an open declaration that Jehovah was his God. Not Dagon, not Ray, the sun god, not in Jehovah, God is my God. One man worship team, right? He's out there just openly declaring, Jehovah, you are my God. Jehovah, you are my protector. Jehovah, you are mighty. I call upon the name of the Lord. You're my protector. You're my defender. He was openly declaring in the midst of a pagan culture that God was his God, that he was in covenant with God, okay? So the first thing that Isaac did in order to contend for his covenant, right, in order to receive the benefit of the covenant that his dad had cut with God, first thing he did was he openly declared that God was his God, okay? Openly declared that God was his God. Jesus recognized that in order for us to walk fully in the benefits of a new covenant, of the covenant that we have today, that's what we're expected to do as well. In the midst of a culture that's becoming more and more pagan all the time, right, unfortunately, becoming more and more hedonistic, right, more and more self-focused, then we're called upon, we're asked, we're expected to openly declare that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that Jehovah God is our God. Okay? First thing to do to receive the benefits of the covenant is to openly declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to, and to openly declare he's your God. Okay? In fact, in Matthew 16, I think we have these, this scripture coming up. Matthew 16, Jesus said it this way. He said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sounds like covenant language, right? I give up my life for my Lord and Savior, and in return, I receive fullness of life from him. That's the covenantal exchange, right, that takes place in the new covenant. I take up my cross take up the cross of Jesus Christ, and I follow him. I deny myself. I refuse to make myself my own God. Hello? <laughs> right? We're not really in danger of worshiping Dagon, the half fish, half God. We're more in danger of worshiping ourselves. 
I'm sorry, uh, you know, I'll raise my hand because I'm there too, but we're more in danger of putting ourselves on that throne, right, where Jehovah God should sit. And what Jesus says is, the more you try to save your life, the more you try to try to achieve for yourself, the more you try to attain your own self-worth and self-independence and, and even your own self-finances, the more you do that, then the less of me you're going to gain. Right? The less of me you're going to gain. On the other hand, if you say, Lord, it's all yours. It's just all yours. I'm just giving it all over to you. I'm giving my life, my family, my business, my relationship, my finances. Lord, I'm just giving that all to you. And in return, God says, great, now I can bless you. (laughs) Now I can allow you to receive the benefit of my covenant because why? You're making him your God, right? And if you make him your God, then we become his people. (laughs) It's a great, great exchange. I've got a friend that says, man, that deal's too good to be true. really is. You know, it's, it's the great exchange that takes place. So that's the first thing that Isaac did, like us, is he made God his God openly declared that that was his God. Now, there's the, here's the second significant thing that we saw in that verse a while ago, and it said that Isaac pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Okay? A big part of the covenant that God was giving to, uh, to Abraham and to Isaac was to dwell in the land, right? It was a big deal that they had a place to dwell, they had a place to call their own. It wind up being Israel, right? Today's Israel. But it was Canaan at the time, the promised land. And so God says, I want you to dwell in this land. So in order to receive the benefit of that part of the covenant, Isaac had to occupy his space. Okay, He had to occupy his space. He had to contend for that covenant. Because there were Jebusites, Hittites, Samsonites, Parasites, all those folks, right, that are there. Trying, Philistines, trying to keep him from occupying that land. But Isaac pitched his tent there and dug a well. Okay? Here's what's significant about digging a well in those days. This is just north of the Negev Desert. Okay? This is Egypt, this huge, you know, north of Egypt. There's this big desert in Negev. This is in Beersheba. This is where this is taking place. And in that area, it's, 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 it's desert. right? So what's more valuable in the desert... Then a water well. Answer, nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing. I mean, you need water. Your flocks need water. Your servants need water. Your family needs water. Everybody needs water. So it's a big deal to dig a well. So anytime someone like Isaac dug a well somewhere, what he was doing, he was staking out a claim of ownership, okay, of that well and the surrounding area where his flocks would graze. Like an oasis, Right? He said, okay, this is my place. So what Isaac was proclaiming to the Philistines, this is my country. This is my land. God had promised him, God had promised his father Abraham, and had promised him that this was where he was going to dwell. And so Isaac began to dig a well. Digging a well to Isaac is representative, is symbolic of us contending for the spiritual place that God has given us. God has promised to us peace. He's promised us health. He's promised us well-being. He's promised us prosperity, right? And all of those things are ours as a part of the spiritual covenant that God has made with us, 
right? We accept Jesus Christ. We step into that covenant. That's all part. Health, wealth, well-being, prosperity, peace of mind, all of those things are, are part of the land, if you will, that God has promised to us. In order to receive the benefits of that covenant, we've got to occupy that land, right? We've got to occupy. We've got to dig a well, right? We've got to dig a well right there. Water is representative in the old covenant of the Holy Spirit, Okay, so whenever Isaac was digging a well, he was essentially representing to us symbolically about manifesting the presence of God, right? The water of the Spirit in our life today. Isaac dug a well to get water. We contend to receive the benefit of our covenant so that we might have more of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus said... If any man come to me, out of his bellies shall flow what? Rivers of living water. We bursting, bursting, right? We sang that. That was it today. That's what he's talking about. It's the river of water, right? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Isaac dug a well to get literal water. We dig a well in order to receive more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Okay? And so we'll talk in a minute about the instructions Jesus gave us in order to do that. But in the meantime, look at Genesis 26, 12, and we'll see the results of Isaac digging a well. Okay? Genesis 26, 12 says this. Then Isaac sowed in that land. What land? The land that Abraham had, that God had promised to Abraham, right? The, the land of the promise. He, he sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold pretty good return, hundredfold return, and the Lord blessed him, right? This is the consummation of the covenant. The man, look at this, I love verse 13. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. <laughs> I think there's prosperity there, right? Oh, where, where do you see prosperity in the Bible? Eh, Genesis 26, 13. Okay, I'll just go right there to start, right? That's where it is. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells. Look at this. He had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. Right? Here's the deal. The world doesn't want you to dig a well. The world doesn't want There's opposition, right? There's opposition as you contend for your covenant. That opposition comes in the form of negative spiritual influences. I call them demons. You can call them whatever you want, but they're negative spiritual influences. That's going on in opposition. The world itself, you know, this cosmos, if you will, is a fallen world. And as a result of that, there's opposition to us digging our wells. There's opposition to us receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is a Philistine, <laughs> you know. Your flesh is a Philistine. Your flesh operates in opposition to you receiving the benefits of the covenant, right? So just as Isaac faced opposition with the Philistines, so also we face opposition as we contend for our covenant, right? But, but, God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, right? Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I'm not going and abandoning you. Abandoning you. I'm sending you my spirit, and he will guide you. He will comfort you. He will lead you into all truth. What will he do? He'll be your well, right? He'll be your water. He will be the presence of God in your life in the form of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? So, second thing, first thing Isaac did, he openly declared God as his, as his God, right? Second thing he did, he contended for the land. He occupied, he dwelled in it. He, 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 was, he was active, actively receiving the benefit of the covenant, okay? So, here's what Jesus says to us, right? Ephesians 6, 10. This is how we contend for our covenant, right? This is how we walk in and receive the fact that we're beneficiaries of the covenant that someone else made on our behalf, right? And that, that beneficiaries of that covenant is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, right? I probably ought to make this point first. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he opened up that covenant blessing that we might become the descendants of Abraham by adoption, Okay, by adoption. So we become Isaac's brothers and sisters, <laughs> right? We move into that place where we, we can receive the benefit of the Abrahamic covenant. But even better than that, not only is Abraham our father, but God becomes our father, yeah. right? Romans 8, 4 says that as many as are in Christ, then we receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, right? We receive the spirit of sonship. We are joint heirs with Christ. So God becomes our covenant father, and we're recipients of the Abrahamic covenant as well, okay? Everybody good with that? And so Jesus says, okay, here's how you contend for that. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, right? And in the power of his might. This is a familiar verse to you, but this is talking about contending for your covenant, right? About what you do to receive your blessings. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, negative spiritual influences, hello, pow, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, dot, 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 and ourselves. <laughs> and ourselves, that's who we, we battle against. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Okay? So the first thing that we're told here is to take on that armor of God, is to say, I'm dwelling in this covenant. I'm standing in this covenant. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, gosh, maybe tomorrow, this afternoon, when you, when you go back home, there's going to be opposition rising up in you and against you, right, in order to keep you from receiving the full benefits of the covenant that's been made available. What you have to do is stand against the wiles of the devil. What you have to do is put on the armor of God. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, you, you put on the, uh, you take the sword of the spirit. You gird yourself with the, the gospel of peace. All of those things are all part. You can read on in Ephesians. We don't have time right now. You can read on about what all those uh, attributes of the armor is. But here's what we're really talking about. <clears throat> We're talking about taking a stand for the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that there are covenant blessings that you are entitled to receive because of that truth. Because of that truth. And it is a truth. It is a truth. It is as real as you and I sitting here today. That covenant is a real benefit, a real relationship a real dynamic power that exists in this earth, it's just up to us to receive it and to appropriate it, right? So, contend for your covenant, right? Contend for your covenant. 
It's a glorious, glorious relationship with God that's filled with benefits in every respect. Anything you need out of a God, it's there, right? And what it, what it, it's up to us then to just simply step into that place of receiving that covenant, okay? All right. Let me close with this. Like Isaac, right? Like Isaac. If we make the Lord our God, make the Lord our God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, right? That's what opens the door. Then we can, and we continue to contend in the faith, right? By inviting the Holy Spirit to guide and indwell our lives, to receive that armor of God, we too can and will be beneficiaries of a covenant relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.